You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Welcome to Autumn on the Air. Today, our guest is Karen Presley, the Deputy Director of the Office of Research and Technology Applications at the National Security Agency. With a vast background in both public and private sector, Karen leads a team of technology transfer professionals at the NSA. Karen also sits on the board of the Federal Laboratory Consortium, or FLC, a nationwide network of federal laboratories and research centers dedicated to promoting technology transfer and partnerships with industry, academia, nonprofits, and state and local governments. Welcome, Karen. I'm so excited to have you here on the air. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for inviting me today. I'm uh, really excited about talking about all things T2. Yes, definitely. And we have a lot to talk about. So let's go ahead and get started. So I'm curious, Karen, can you tell us a little bit about your role at the National Security Agency, as well as your experience working in tech transfer? Uh, Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I guess I would say my first unintentional exposure to tech transfer uh, was at the United States Patent and Trademark Office, which taught me first taught me about IP and um, the importance of protecting your intellectual property. And then I went from there uh, working at the FBI um, as an electrical engineer, and I actually was an innovator. At the time, I didn't realize that's what I was, but I created um, inventions or surveillance um, devices for FBI agents. And so that was like my first real crash course in developing federally funded technologies and transitioning it into um, operational use. Um, you know, so from there, I worked a few government contracts um, as a consultant and then transitioned into law. Uh, as an IP attorney, worked for law firms. And so I uh, protected intellectual property from a different angle as, a, as opposed to at the USPTO. And I actually from there stumbled into actual tech transfer working in a federal lab as a tech transfer professional. Um, and so um, worked as a contractor um, to doing tech transfer for a few federal labs. And then I ended up at NSA as a civilian. And I've been there for about 10 years now. And um, at NSA, I serve as the deputy director of the office and I lead a group of amazing tech transfer professionals. And, you know, we basically were, you know, the jack of all trades. We wear many hats. Um, I develop, negotiate T2 agreements along with the team in addition to other duties assigned. Um, We work very closely uh, with agency innovators, you know, creating partnerships with academia, nonprofits, um, other industry partners. Um, you know, responsible for creating a lot of different programs to help enable uh, transferring IP, in, in including um, we, we developed the open source software process for NSA. And um, most uh, notably, uh, one of our, I think our, our, I'll say a, a key project that we're fo- really been focusing on lately is a, a program which will help to increase diversity within the agency. And, um, you know, this team is just an amazing team. You know, I've been part of the team. We won a Lindstedt Award, wow. um, actually George Lindstedt Award. Um, through uh, our work, as well as a few uh, excellence in federal tech transfer awards for licensing deals. Well, I do have to say, Karen, you have had an amazing career today, you know, starting off at the patent office, going to the FBI and becoming an inventor and then uh, doing contracts and then 
becoming an IP attorney and working in a law firm and, and now doing all that you're doing in tech transfer. So absolutely fascinating background. And so I'm curious for you now that you've spent so much time in tech transfer, what would you say, um, having been, you know, in the government, out of the government, back in the government, some of the biggest challenges are that tech transfer professionals face in the government space? Oh, wow. <laughs> Where do I start? Um, yeah, no, definitely <laughs> saying it's, it's different. Um, but this question, it actually reminds me of a post I saw um, by Felicia Hatcher. She's the CEO of Black Ambition. And um, she spoke of this conversation um, that she had with someone who posed the question, who are you uninterrupted? Very profound to me at the time. And she meant by that, like if every at every intersection of your life, the light was only green, meaning there was no yellow, there was no red. Like, what would your life look like? And she said, you first have to ask yourself, like, what interrupted means and how do you carry that interruption into meetings or like or into your life? And so I'm on land is playing. But so I'll just go to like, some of the challenges, basically, you know, or interruptions, if you will, um, or offices faced or tech transfer offices faced are, you know, limited budgets, you know, usually a small team. And we're definitely a small team <laughs> within a, a very large mission oriented agency. And so, I, as you can imagine, that's that's a very. Oh, a challenge. That's a challenge because, again, we, you know, we still are tasked with creating or developing these partnerships for the entire agency. So it's not always, you know, easy, especially, you know, we also um, have the task of creating partnerships and monetizing intellectual property. Limited budgets that uh, that definitely <laughs> it's challenging. Um, and, you know, we, we have, you know, very broad authorities in the tech transfer lane, um, which can be a gift or a curse um, because, Based on the interpretation of your respective agency or your office of general counsel, even though that the, the, the legislation or the authorities are broad, if it's not explicitly stated, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a go for you when you're trying to create something novel. You know, and of course, just government red tape and the hurdles just, you know, just in, in order to get acceptance, because, again, you know, a lot of the focus uh, for the labs are not tech transfer. The focus is mission. And we are we help to enable mission through partnerships. So it's not always, you know, just a, a, a hard and fast. Yes. <laughs> um, when you're trying to create something and, or try to demonstrate the value of tech transfer or why we why we exist and who we are. So, you know, going back to Felicia's question, I think it's very relevant because, you know, in the field of tech transfer and especially in the intelligence community, because, of course, like uninterrupted, the possibilities would be endless. You know, if if all all folks interpreted the laws and the broad um, the broad legislation and tech transfer laws that we have, if they interpret them to to, to give us the, the, the bandwidth and the ability to do everything, that would be amazing. Um, but like bringing the interrupted or the challenges that I previously noted it, it necessarily requires resilience and at times the audacity to be bold enough to create like novel ways to engage and to enable our jobs. Yeah, I love that answer. And and I, you know, even in our own personal lives, you know, if you think about if you just had one day that was uninterrupted, all that you could get done. So it, it's an interesting, you know, question and, and thought process to go through. And so, Karen, I wanted to follow up on that and ask you, can you tell us a little bit about how the NSA approaches technology transfer and what perhaps makes it unique compared to other government agencies? Sure. Yeah. Um, so we basically function, you know, like most most offices. But I think what makes us the most unique, at least from my perspective and what I've uh, witnessed, having worked at a few other labs, is that. Um, we have the authority in our office, our, our director, um, the order director, she has authority to sign agreements on behalf of NSA. 
And way that may, though that may not really sound hugely significant, when you think about putting these partnerships in place and just getting the inherent challenges it takes to do that and then get it through your legal reviews, then you would have to go up some type of chain of command to get it signed. Oh, my goodness. You know, tack on months. But she has authority once we go through our normal checks and balances to sign it right then and there. So that is huge. And that I think that is unique. I have not seen another order office, at least that I've worked in, that has that um, has, has delegated that authority down to the order director. Um, and I'd say we also have um, a very good working relationship with our Office of General Counsel. Um, again, this is just based on my experience. I, I have yet to see where, you know, we have templates, of course, and everything has to go through a legal review. But our Office of General Counsel, I guess, through the years, we, we develop a rapport where we can, for the most part, draft the agreements um, and those things that they have um, determined to be legally sufficient they give us the flexibility to be able to negotiate those things on their behalf. Of course, new 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 um new topics that are brought up, you know, by industry partners or, or considerations that want to change our templates, for example, we, we still run it past. But we have that that wonderful relationship, working relationship, professional rapport, where you know we kind of work as a team, and um, they they view us, I think, as as partners. That and I think it it helps them <laughs> because they trust us to not go off and 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 agree to something. Um, without at least running it past them or that has not been seen by them. Um, and to that end, you know, they also have no problem being the bad guy for us. So, you know, if there's something that just is a no, <laughs> we, you know, we try to, to avoid, uh, you know, just putting it off on them, but they have no problem for us saying, well, our OGC says no, and they will uh, definitely, you know, support us and, and back us up um, with that. And then, of course, just, you know, working in the intelligence community, you know, working with technologies, it's kind of cool and, and unique that knowing that most of them are developed for some classified mission use, but we have unclassified applications. Um, and so that's, yeah, I would say that's pretty unique, at least within our, our agency. Yeah, I would imagine the technologies that come across your desk and your team's desk must be absolutely fascinating. And so I would think that not only the technology that's coming across your desk is fascinating, but some of the programs that you have as well are really cutting edge and kind of innovative. So I wanted to ask you about one of those programs, and that's the Minority Serving Institution Working Group Creative Program. And I was wondering if you could tell us how that program allows NSA to engage with minority serving institutions, as well as historically black colleges and universities. Um, sure. Yeah. So this this was an effort. Um, and um, just to kind of, you know, to give a little definition about what we mean by minority serving institutions or MSIs, we took that definition straight from the Higher Education Act. And that includes the seven categories that they, they list in that act. So that includes, like I said, HBCUs. Um, HSIs or Hispanic serving institutions, tribal colleges or university, um, Alaska Native serving institutions, uh, your predominantly Black institutions, your Asian American and Native American Pacific Islander serving institutions, and your Native American serving non-tribal institutions. So all of those fit within that um, that definition when we when we talk about MSIs. And um, so the origin of uh, the MSI uh, CRADA it actually started with a program we called Spark. Um, where we reached out to universities um, and, and specifically MBA schools within universities to do commercial assessments. And uh, we found through a series of customer discovery, you know, and uh, just conversations basically with universities that um, we got the best bang for our buck when we when we targeted universities that had like the I-Core methodology embedded within their curriculum or their lean startup, because that would actually give us um, a good roadmap of partners that we could talk to 
or best use cases uh, for our technologies. Um, from there, um, we realized that a lot of universities that we were actually uh, naturally able to align with and plug our technologies in, there was no representation within HBCUs. Um, and so we, we we intentionally started to reach out to more HBCUs to see, okay, how can we, you know, incorporate or include them in this in this wonderful collaboration? Because again, it's 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 you know great to embed it within a curriculum and to, to actually do an assessment of an actual federally funded technology. You know, how cool is that? Um, from having additional discussions, um, this is you know just customer discovery is just amazing. Um, additional discussions. Yeah, and it's just, like, just talking to you, you know, talking to people. I mean, it's one thing to have an idea and you think it's great, but when you actually talk to folks, and that's really the whole lean startup methodology, um, is just finding out. But no, this is exactly what people need or, or people can use. Um, we found that while that was wonderful, um, it is even better if we can offer opportunities for more substantive research. And um, I think this again, the the impetus behind you know. Pivoting, if you will, we pivot again and saying, okay, you know, commercial assessments are great. You know, it's just having conversations and noticing that there was a, you know, a large disparity between like the federal dollars, uh, R&D dollars that were awarded to your MSIs versus non-MSIs. And, you know, so we, we asked ourselves, like, how could we help to um, provide more opportunities? And so it pivoted to a CRADA, a Cooperative Research Development Agreement, which is um, allows government agencies to actually conduct research and development with nonprofits, academia, and industry partners. Um, and so we felt that this would be a more substantive engagement. It would hopefully, you know, it's not going to solve all problems, but if we can at least, you know, we thought if we can at least provide research opportunities that can make these universities a little more competitive, give them a little more um, exposure to working on government mission, set, mission problem sets, I mean, I think that would definitely, you know, help help to build uh, capacity within these these organizations. So the the, the CRADA is, is written very broadly and we have three main topic areas. Um, and these were provided by a technical director at NSA that NSA cares about. So it's um, Internet of Things, National Cybersecurity Posture and Cyber Analysis Research and Secure Composition and System Science Research. So basically cyber topics, IoT, and they're all, you know, it's, it's very broadly written. And so as long as you can check the box as being an MSI and you can demonstrate um, capacity and capabilities or in at least one of these topic areas, you are you're able to um, engage and work on NSA problem sets. And um, to date, we have 13 signed and we have 11 pending. Um, so it's definitely definitely growing. Um, and again, you know, the goal is to demonstrate impact and the the research capabilities that come out of these institutions that may uh, sometimes be often overlooked. And that's fascinating. And how long do the credits normally last? Um, three to five years. Um, since this is a, a working group and, and, you know, the goal, again, is to just collaborate, you know, individually as well as have the working group collaborate together. Um, we, we set this for five years. Um, to provide, you know, enough time to kind of demonstrate and, and to work on multiple topics. But we've also had some, you know, uh, ranging from three years, uh, starting at three years. So, Karen, I wanted to follow up and ask you, you mentioned some specific research areas like the Internet of Things research, national cybersecurity posture and cyber analysis research and secure composition and system science research. So I wanted to ask you, how are the universities approaching this research? Absolutely. Um, given that the CRADA is a very flexible mechanism, uh, different universities have taken different approaches. Um, for example, some universities have built prototypes 
uh, for intellectual property or patented technologies in our patent catalog, our NSA patent catalog. Um, we've also had some students to work directly on NSA mission problem sets. And so this is like one-on-one -on -one with an NSA researcher and faculty and students. Um, some examples of that include we have worked on uh, vehicle vehicle vulnerability using some of our open source software tools. We've had some students work on image recognition um, projects, um, others are quantum entropy projects. So it, it'll be the individual research that works with a group of students on specific topics. One of the most recent um, ways that we are working to help uh, provide a scalable mechanism and, and bring a curriculum into this uh, collaboration is we have all been trained to be hacking for educators. And so Common Mission Project is a nonprofit that actually trains university professors, faculties to teach this methodology. It's a lean startup methodology um, on how to deconstruct a mission problem set. So our thought is, um, in addition to the multiple ways that folks can engage, we're, we're providing yet another vehicle. So we plan to teach it, uh, the ORD office plan to teach it to the respective universities, provide NSA challenge problems. And at the end, they start with a problem and they will help to provide actually not only a solution, but a more specific uh, problem that NSA may or may not have considered when they proposed the challenge. Um, we're hoping to actually launch a pilot this summer, uh, July 10th, to, to be the first kickoff. But again, um, this this will be offered to all our MSI partners. And the, we are, we're teaching the first few versions of it. The goal is to have the individual universities adopt it as their own, um, to create their own class and to empower them to, again, to, to use this. And, and, to, to, and this is something that they can take with them, not just for government service, but this is just these are tools and a methodology that they can apply um, throughout in industry or throughout their careers. Wow, that sounds like an amazing program. And as you mentioned, not only does the CRADA benefit the university, it also benefits its students, but also NSA, because as you mentioned, as a result of this CRADA, you might also learn about a problem that NSA hadn't appreciated. So I was wondering, Karen, can you give us some other examples of some benefits both to NSA and its partnering universities in terms of the research and development opportunities? Though the CRADA is not um, a recruiting tool, I, I would say a side benefit is uh, we get exposure and access to a large or uh, diverse pool of students that may uh, be, you know, candidates to work at NSA, uh, for example. And um, it also gives us the opportunity to work with uh, faculty um, because the CRADA is, is, is about expanding and broadening our respective areas of expertise and research topics by working under this CRADA and working on these problem sets with students. We, again, indirectly have access to faculty members that may be able to share their expertise and create, you know, robust tools or techniques that, you know, we both can, we can, we can benefit from individually and together. And it also makes the universities more competitive uh, because by virtue of working under the collaboration, this can be um, definitely a part of their research capabilities um, to be included in grants. Uh, for example, I know that the National Science Foundation, they have several ICOR grants. And because this is a government and uh, academic collaboration, this counts toward whatever those requirements are to receive NSF funding, in a, in a, and not just NSF grants, but just grants in, in general. 
And I would imagine, Karen, for those students that, you know, you work with through this program, it must be pretty cool and pretty neat for them to get a chance to work with NSA. Yeah, a- absolutely. I, I recall um, there was a a group of students that worked out of Fayetteville State and uh, Winston-Salem State University. And the research director actually came down and they, you know, they presented out as a part of, you know, the, this symposium that our laboratory for analytic sciences has. And um, they were just in awe. <laughs> I mean, I heard the the tale was told that the the research director was like a celebrity because, you know, I guess when you work in the intelligence community, you're kind of used to it. Exactly. But to say that, oh, my goodness, I got to meet so-and-so from NSA yeah. and take a picture. It was, oh, you know, it, they, they were really excited. And, you know, we've also learned that, you know, a lot of students may not have considered, you know, government or an intelligence community as, community as a career path or career choice for whatever reason. And you know, a lot of students have actually said that, man, this creator gave them that that insight and um, inspired them or whatever reason that they never considered it, it is now on their radar for sure. You know, that's really incredible. And it's, you know, obvious that this creative provides a great opportunity for hands-on learning. So I wanted to ask, you know, what kind of impact do you hope that the MSI Working Group Creative Program will have on the next generation of technology transfer and innovation, especially in that field of cybersecurity? Uh, yeah, I mean, the goal is just to have um, to, to build and enhance core competencies with students, faculty and within the university, which will ultimately help to build capacity for these universities and just make them overall more competitive um, and just getting students exposure to working in intelligence community, working on government problem sets, teaching them methodologies that they can apply in government service careers or or industry or just in life in, in general. And, and, you know, getting exposed to, you know, commercializing federal technologies and what it means uh, to protect your innovation and just overall just building this ecosystem of partnerships, um, this ecosystem with industry, nonprofit and academia that we, we can all work together and collaborate on, on mission problem sets and solve challenges of, you know, within the government. So, Karen, as the podcast comes to a close, I wanted to ask you, how can industry leaders and technology transfer professionals collaborate with the NSA and universities to foster more partnerships like the MSI Working Group Creative Program and help accelerate the pace of innovation in the cybersecurity field? Well, first and foremost, I I say all are welcome. Uh, You know, I've had uh, a few agencies and even industry partners, you know, wanting to join the collaboration, which is 100% allowable. Um, I've also offered, I'm I'm open to sharing our templates because I said there's no need to reinvent the wheel. And so if they can take my template and plug it into whatever they're doing, I mean, they can have at it. You know, I said, we're creating this ecosystem and growing a network. I mean, it's, it's not my network. I think, you know, it can benefit all. And so if there's any way, you know, I, I, I give them the framework, what, what I've done, and I say, plug in to wherever you can. You know, my goal is to align within whatever the respective missions are of my industry partners, my government partners, and just tell me how I can help make it fit and to expand this, you know, as broadly as possible. Karen, this has been a really fascinating discussion. So thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to me about these really important initiatives. I'm really excited to see where these programs are gonna go and the difference they're gonna make in the tech transfer community. Thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate that. And it's definitely been my honor. Um, Thank you. Thank you again for, for your time and interest. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM 
or visit us online at autm.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. New to tech transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for tech transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.